Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode uh, 700. Good grief, 700 episodes. That is an epic uh, milestone. It's not as big as a thousand, but uh, that would be another six years away. Anyway, this is the Music Technology Podcast, uh, where we talk about all things to do with music production, software, hardware, synthesizers, recording, studio performance, all of that kind of stuff. I want to say thank you uh, to our friends over at Isotope, uh, who will be telling you a little bit about their subscription service later on, and also uh, to Yuhi, uh, their Metaphorian Patches. Uh, we've got a little message from them later. Then Thanks for their supporting the show. also want to say hello to our friends over at YouTube, YouTube chat, and the IRC chat. And uh, the combination chat, which is what I'm watching now, which is uh, YouTube, IRC, Twitch and Facebook, because we stream that live everywhere um, where we can. also want to say, uh, in case you're interested, uh, please do join us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon, of course, uh, is where we post all our stuff ad-free. Uh, also get a bit of pre-show for the Sonic Talk. And uh, we've been posting samples and sound packs and all kinds of stuff for, from that related to the things that we do with reviews. So if you want to support us there, please feel free to carry on and uh, just go on. In fact, if you do, uh, you join the, the later tier. The, there's only two tiers. It's not a bunch of cash. But if you get it in before the end of the show, at the end, the upper tiers get a, a name check at the end. Uh, ditto uh, if you're interested in uh, joining us for Super Chats or Super Stickers. Oh, I'm being very crass, commercially crass today. Um, you've got maybe a plug for a, 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 an event you've got. Uh, just put it in there. That's great. Thank you very much. Anyway, um, let's get on to our guests. I mean, 700 episodes uh, is a lot, but uh, oh, Dave, I've, I've caught you catching coffee. And you were there, Dave Spears of G4 Software. You were there at episode one when it was just audio. Just amazing, eh? Amazing. Actually, not amazing, because it is a really good show, and it's definitely matured over the years. Yeah, it was, Astonishing was audio, it's lasted it? so long. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember when you called me and just kind of went, well, do you fancy doing something midweek? Might have legs, might not. Who knows? Let's try it. I was like, yeah, and hey, here we are. Wow, amazing. Well done. Yeah, well, a few facts and figures. Actually, um, the uh, uh, 700 episodes, if you listen to them end to end, it would be 29 days continuous listening. Uh, there's also uh, uh, over a 1 million viewer hours on all the ones I could find on YouTube. So that, if you, that equates to 114 man years. So if you added all the time up, it would be 140, which is pretty. That's over a century of listening time or watching time or whatever it may be. Bonkers, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, how are you, Dave? Are you well? I'm all right. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Recovering. Good. Well, you've got the, we'll talk about this a little bit later. You've got the Mtron uh, Mark II out, which uh, is literally fresh off the press. The ink's still dry on the GUI, right? Still wet, yeah. even, is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, don't touch it. <laughs> don't touch it. And we also have, really pleased to have, um, Tori Letzler from LA, who's there in her studio. She very kindly got up early. I mean, we're talking <laughs> super early. It's only just 8am, so... But you've got a load of press and stuff for this week, so I guess you're get, having to kind of get in training for uh, for this kind of thing. How have you been? It's been ages. I've been good. Yeah, it's been a while. I think I may have spoken to you right when I moved into the studio, but I'm not, I honestly don't remember because it's been, it's been a minute. Uh, the way the world has shifted, I've not a, been a morning person for the past year or so. so <laughs> but it's been good. Lots of, you know, projects, busy. Um, but I'm glad to be back on episode 700. And I think the last episode I was on, I was also talking with Dave and he had something come out on the last episode I was on. <laughs> 
Wow. So you, you two be working behind the scenes to kind of to, to work this out. That's funny. Yeah, that will be, be nearly a year ago. Is that, oh, that, is that the last time? Yeah, that gone? sounds about right. Yeah. Wow, I'm sorry. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. So, uh, Tori, I mean, lockdown, have you been doing, have you been busy? Because I know at the, be the beginning of lockdown, uh, there was kind of, you know, nobody was really sure what was going, but you've just done a sort of a, a full year since then. Have you been kind of on it? Because, I don't know, has production been going on? Have you been able to be doing, because you do media composer and and you do kind of uh, releases. Uh, um, is it Tiny Cat, your project? Yeah, it's Tiny Cat. Um, yeah, actually, I have a release with Tiny Cat coming out on Friday. It's a collab with an artist or a duo called Slumberjack. Um, and I'm really excited about that release. If you like you know, heavier bass and trap. It's got some orchestral elements. It's a cool release. But uh, the big thing I have is my Netflix show that I scored over the pandemic is coming out on Friday. And so is the soundtrack. And that show I worked on for almost a year. So it's been a, nice. a long time. It's called uh, In From The Cold. And uh, it's and how, a heavily... The, did, were you singing? Were you? I mean, how much? How much? You know, what did you have to put into that? Was it? What? How would you? Yeah. How would you describe it musically? Um, musically, it is a heavily analog score uh, inspired by like '90s industrial. Um, I took a lot of inspiration from like How to Destroy Angels, and uh, there's a lot of vocals in it. A lot of really affected vocals. I keep telling people it was like a masterclass for myself in uh, vocal processing. So I think if you're into those two things and you like. Uh, spy thrillers because that's what it is it's a it's a fun show oh excellent excellent well it's fantastic to have you and i'm much appreciative of you uh getting up early to get down here i'm sure you've got other stuff to do though i'm sure you're exaggerating in the fact that you haven't been up this early for a year i can't believe that for <laughs> for a second <laughs> and of course we have mr yoad nevo there in uh, nevo sound in uh london um yoad where he masters he's Hi. at the controls of the heart of the bass uh mixing he's also a waves developer how are you yoad it's been a while yeah yeah, I know. It's uh, been not too long. It's uh, I think I've been on two weeks ago, maybe three. Oh. Um, but um, yeah, I think I joined around episode four hundred or something like that. So it's been, so it's been you know a couple of hundreds of uh, episodes Just as six, well. Six years. That's six. God, that's three hundred episodes. Something like that. Six Five, six years. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah. Everything is good. Everything is uh, well. I'm still very busy here, um, which is good because it's really cold outside in central <laughs> London. Uh, and I, I yeah, can't help but notice that you've got a, a you've got a fader port uh, there. Is that a mm -hmm. new addition? That little controller. It's a new addition uh, between this and the knob. Which yeah. I, I never, I never remember what it's called. Um, knob or big knob or something. Not big knob. No, yeah, NOB. I, I, yeah, I uh, that's so the controller. Yeah. yeah so, so this allows you to hover uh, above uh, um, any parameter you see on the screen and tweak, you know, tweak it. So it's really nice. It's um, it's basically a big. It's like a big scroll wheel um yeah. which is really nice um and then 
this allows me, but because I work in touch mode, it's not very, sometimes it's a bit glitchy. So this is for, for more like touch for, for automating sends and, and stuff like that. Um, right. But also, That's so funny. I, <laughs> so funny. But yet, yet to the right of it, you've got all of those other faders. Were, were they? Are they moving faders on your console as well? Or they're moving. Uh, they are on this side. They are moving faders. Uh-huh. On this side, they aren't. But even the ones that are moving faders are not moving very much lately. So um, <laughs> uh, because wh- because the way I use it is it's for summing. Uh, and when I use um, the mic preamps and EQ and compressor on on every channel, which which is great, but I use it from the insert send, so I don't really and the the, the insert returns are for summing, so the the right. desk is pretty much static anyway. Yeah, so, it's like um, some, yeah. I, I, oh, it's just interesting that you've gone for uh, for the fader. I mean, I, I I've got one of those. I didn't go for that one. I've got the uh, Platform Nano, uh, which is a similar concept, um, which I use for just automating um, dialogue in in our uh, video editing. So it's just a quick way to grab a mm-hmm. fader and just kind of automate some uh, some of, some of the moves. Uh, so, yeah, I, so I have to have. say that the 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 other the other functionality I use it for is because the the whole studio is. Um, is SoundGrid, uh, so all the computers are connected uh, through SoundGrid, uh, which is a digital network, uh, audio yeah. network system. Um, and when um, and when I work in Atmos, which is twelve speakers, um, I use that to control um, twelve speakers at the same time through uh, the master SoundGrid. volume. <laughs> master volume, yeah. Right. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Well, we have news this week. There are things going on. I think I can just go, uh, if I press this button here, I think it should happen, uh, and then come to here. Roland, 50 years. uh, They've started their 50 years um, of uh, Rolandness, I guess. So that would be 1972, I suppose, they would have started. Really, I mean, sadly, there was no video. I was hoping to play some kind of fancy corporate video that would give it a bit of pizzazz, but uh, we can't do that. But 50 years, so what they've done is they've just gone through the... um, gone through the era so you can the 1970s i mean there's some classics here aren't there i mean there's just so much stuff and it's really interesting to to forget sometimes you forget all this legacy and i know roland do get they're one of the companies that get a lot of flack for not doing the old stuff anymore which it's really weird but when you look back you can understand why people are perhaps so sort of evangelical about their stuff because there's something in sort of almost every generation that's been a really iconic piece of equipment um but i i suppose one thing i just wanted to say was sort of happy birthday to roland and a kind of maybe a celebration i know tori have you uh have you got any favorite uh roland eras or pieces of equipment because it is quite an achievement the uh jupiter and the juno obviously um, right, okay uh, uh it's not in this studio but in my husband's studio uh he's got the new jupiter like the is it the jupiter xm or the yeah that thing the big one or the like, little one uh he's got the little one so i think it's the, X- the xm yeah yeah XM, i've played right, with yeah. that thing a bunch and i love that um and also, I love their little boutique, uh, their little boutique modules, which they discontinued some of them. Um, I think those are absolutely great. And I had, 
uh, what was it like the the SH one hundred one? There was a Juno one. There was a Jupiter one, and something else. Um, at some point, I had like four or five of them. We've offloaded some of them at this point, but I think they're great value for the size um, and what they do. And yeah, they harken back to the classic era of Roland. So I'm definitely it's, a fan it's of. Very, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, actually, because when the boutiques first came out, it was so going against the flow of all everybody kind of making all this other analog remakes and sort of genuine analog. But now the ranges continue to expand. I just reviewed the JD08 and uh, I've got the JX08, which will be next. And they, I, I, they've injected a bit more DSP in them because some of the early ones were like, you know, the JP08 had only four voices, whereas the yep. JD08 has 128 and the JX08 has eight. So that's, oh no, it has more, I think. Um, and it's got a split. So they're, they're starting to kind of beef them up a bit and they, they're starting to make more sense. And I, I found personally that that I was more, I was sort of more open to the whole concept of boutiqueness than perhaps I was at the beginning when, when they were sort of against the zeitgeist. It's quite interesting how that goes. It's um, yeah, I don't know why, um, why that would be the case, but uh, yeah. But uh, so, I mean, of course, the thing about the Roland, there was a massive change, wasn't there? I, I mean, Dave, um, remember, it was uh, 2014. Uh, I think that the management that after Takahashi died, or, or sorry, uh, he, he retired, they. Um, the management bought out and they kind of restructured the company. It's actually quite a big deal. And that, that's changed a lot. Things have changed. I mean, with a company the size of Roland, it's, it takes a long time for things to change, but it feels like there's a lot of movement or has been corporately. Yeah, I don't know much about that. Uh, obviously, I was aware of it when it happened. I'm a proper old school Roland fan. First synth I ever played on a gig was an SH-1000. That was a bit crazy because uh, it was in this kind of weird sort of proggy Santana-like band and uh, they ex they just wanted something that sounded like Keith Emerson, bearing in mind this was the 70s. And then I rented a SH-1000 from Anderson's in Guildford, lugged it up on the train, set it up, got a fairly average sound out of it. And then uh, there was there was the little screwdriver port in the back for you know tuning it, and some smart ass came in and just moved it before the gig, and it was like whoa whoa! Oh. All of a sudden during the gig, everything was out. But oh, yeah, no, I, I haven't got an SH one thousand. I would really like one purely because obviously it was the first synth that I ever really properly played it on a gig, at, but also because. I found out that the base, the imagination baselines were done on it, and it and it oh. makes sense when you know that there's that push button for the portamento, a bit like the twenty six hundred. All of a sudden, it's like ah, okay, and they just put it through a boss chorus and stuff. Uh, so I've always kind of thought Alex Ball's got one. I'm tempted to nick his if I go down and see him at some point. But I, honestly, I mean, there was a point where I was going to go and work for Roland. They were only oh, over really? in Fleet, which was, was kind of forty minutes from me. It was in the 90s. Uh, JD800 is still one of my main master keyboards. The, the tracking on that is just lightning fast. And I'd got, in fact, the, the MD of Roland UK, a guy called Brian Nunney at the time, was very influential in when I started the first ever software company uh, in the early 90s. And uh, we did a lot of bundle stuff with them, and his massive help kind of bankrolled us, really. Uh, and at one point, he just said, our tech support guys leaving, do you want to come and work? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because honestly, at that point, you know, if you cut me, I'd bleed Roland blood. 
<laughs> and then, of course, they moved down to uh, Cardiff. They had some big yes. incentive to move everything down to Swansea. And uh, I thought, no. Uh, and I was already committed to this company. But, yeah, I've got, we, got, we got bags of it. I still, like I say, still use JD Android, love it. I could never figure out because there was always this kind of MIDI lag with things like the D50, which is obviously an iconic instrument the d70 around that era and then all of a sudden when the jd800 hit it was just like lightning fast to play and i'm not a super speedy keyboard player uh but it just felt right it was the perfect synth action keyboard for me and then i went to a big roland microsoft developers conference in seattle years ago uh, and a load of the engineers were there and he said it was one of the engineers uh, told me it was the first time where they had a kind of dedicated keyboard scanning chip uh, ah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense because when yeah. you when you look back to the, I mean, I wasn't Prophet Five was the first one with an actual microprocessor in it, and that must have been laggy as hell, I'd imagine, because <laughs> I mean, you know, it, what the clock rate would have been barely fractions of a second at that one. I am exaggerating, obviously, but uh, yeah. So interesting, yeah. I suppose that that makes sense. But I wonder if they developed, or because Roland developed a lot of their in-house chips. I wonder if their keyboard scanning technology was in-house, or whether they'd got it from an, an external clock. Oh, this is very nerdy. I do apologise if it's uh, perhaps yeah. too nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've made so many iconic instruments. I love things like. I mean, SH two still got, still use, still love. Uh, VP three thirty very seminal part of the kind of underworld 90s sound uh are uh the 550 string ensemble i think the ensemble on that is just stunning i even played the jp8000 the other day uh and was kind of like yeah you know i can a lot of, okay. there's a lot of love for the jd8000 uh, jp8000 as, a, as the next boutique although there were a lot of controls on that and it, the problem is the boutique it just feels a little it's a wee bit small even though i must admit the jd808 that i reviewed i didn't find that to be so much of an issue i was surprising i found it <laughs> less of an issue than i did with the jp08 which is kind of a weird uh, but, yeah. so i kind of didn't take any i didn't take any real notice because it's been busy busy and Somebody sent me a picture of it, and I thought it was like one of those kind of, I hate to say this, I thought it was kind of like one of those joke Photoshop things that people do. So I was like, <laughs> what have they done? Anyway, I, I thought it was hilarious, and then eventually I realised, okay, yeah, I should shut up because this is real. But, yeah, I'm very tempted. I was very uh, tempted with the, the D50 boutique because, you know, D50, the keyboard's yeah. a bit rank and, it's like wow, that would yeah. Well, the, the D5, the DO5 was actually, uh, or whatever it was called. I can't remember what they they, they called the booted. Yeah, it, it was snappier. I know, Yoad. You, I know you've got some Roland kit there, but it, everybody's got a kind of story. If I, if I just have a quick look at the, uh, I've got a new shot which I can throw in at the chat. The, the chat is full of people all sort of saying, "Oh yeah, I had that's a, There we go, Rick Max Speed, Jupiter Eight, and MX, MKS Seventy. People saying what their what their gear was. You know, what their first introduction to Roland. You must. Where did you start with Roland? What was your first ever Roland, assuming there was one? Um, the Juno, the Juno ah. one, the Juno six, uh, sixty, Juno sixty. Um, but yeah, just before before the show, I I went and counted how many. So I have nine Roland analog synths and a few digital ones, um, which is probably because I was thinking, what do I like more, Roland or Korg? 
Um, and I only have, I really like organ poly six is one of my favorite scenes ever, but apart from that and the MS 10 and the poly 800, which I love, I don't really have, uh, other an Korg analog stuff, but I do have a lot of, you know, like all the classic Roland stuff. And I just yeah. found this, you know, I, I was looking at the at the shot you showed on the website and this shows there as the first as the first thing wow. and it actually this is a roland uh, drum machine that was supposed to be mounted on an organ and it's not even called roland yet it's called donkamatic and it sounds it sounds really good but you see this bar here you actually tap it to start and stop oh, the, so nice. it's like touch sensitive. And so I think that this was one of the first products before they were even called, uh, Roland. So nice. that's quite a mini pop. That's, that's, yeah, that's I would, cool. uh, I would hang on. I would hang on to that one. That's going to be, uh, you probably and sell it back uh, to them for their, their museum. <laughs> And and I do have the the JD eight hundred eight hundred, which is amazing. But I was thinking, you know, for me the transition to digital. Obviously, the D fifty was a big thing, and I have the at the time when it came out, I didn't have money to enough money to buy it, so I bought the MT thirty two, which was the poor people kind of LA synthesis sort of. Uh, thing and I had a, a program for the Atari to edit it because when you switched it off it you know it didn't have any memory and things like that you had to program it and I learned how to, to program in CSX and, and wrote uh, like a, a few lines to to change the reverb in, and stuff like that but um, but other than that and the JD and I do have the, J, the JP8000 but I think that if you if you think about Roland and Korg, I think that Korg made the transition to digital in a, in a slightly better way because uh, there are some modern uh, things like the new FM. I don't remember what it's called, and the wave the the wave sta wave station thing, the new one. You know all these wave new. State, yeah wave state and the mini log well that's analog but it has it's the you know i i feel that they're a little bit more current and all the all the boutique stuff that roland uh put out recently uh it's all kind of remakes of of old gear some analog and some digital like the jd08 and the jp08 and and, and all that mm. um so i think that up until 95 or whenever it was that, that the JP, the JD 800 came out, I think that they were really up there. And then maybe they didn't, I'm, I'm not talking about all the waves, wave stations and all that, that the Phantom and, and all those, yeah. which I don't know very well, but I'm talking about like the pro, you know, pro gear and the proper synths and stuff. Um, the JD 800 is definitely up there. Um, but you have all those seventies and eighties, uh, analog synths, which are, which are amazing. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, the price of Jupiter eight. Yeah, not to mention the 808 and 909 and Yeah, I mean, it's when you start you know, looking at all of that stuff, it's, it's bonkers, isn't it? It's I, like, Tori, yeah. have, do you, I mean, do you ever, it's, it's interesting, I don't know whether you ever composed, do you, it's like almost an inventory, not an inventory, but you know, like you, you do a stock take of how many, when you're, when you're composing, when you're creating, you know, do you have like an idea of, of what the share of the, the sound sources are in terms of manufacturing? Because I know you build a lot of your own stuff in modular as well, and you create mm -hmm. sort of sound libraries and palettes that way. But, I mean, do you reach for some of these sort of much more pre-formatted and pre-made synths, or are you kind of using that in software? Because, I mean, media composition is a nightmare without recall, I guess. You have to you have to use software where you can. You know what? Yes and no. I mean, the so I've strayed away from keyboard synths uh, recently, I've been using mostly the Eurorack um, or actually in the box. Um, I use a company called Slade & Ash a ton, and they've done a really good job of uh, capturing analog. Um, so I've been using them a bunch. But, you know, usually if I'm using since what you said about the recall, like for the show I just uh, finished, I did like these massive... Um, analog recording sessions. So I'm recording, you know, two, three hours of sound at a time, giving it to the assistant to chop up uh, sections and then basically make myself my own in-house sample library. Right. And then I pull yeah. on that for the palette of the show. I know some people really like, you know, using the sense directly over a cue, and that's one way of working. For me, it just takes too much time. I'm not that quick. Um, so I need to figure out the sounds in advance and take some time and just do a massive sampling session and then usually add them in. Um, that being said, uh, the keyboard that I use the most right now, surprisingly, is actually, what is it? It's, yeah, it's the Korg Monologue. It's just right behind this. That's why I was checking. Yeah, oh, good, um, good shout. Such a tiny little, you know, nothing synth, but it's just great and it's so easy. Uh, also, the, you know, the... Moog Sub 37. I don't have anything Roland right now in this studio. Steve has some and oftentimes we'll trade back and forth and I'll grab gear from him. But, you know, I've just been mostly using the Eurorack as of late. Um, that's an interesting, have, interesting idea actually so you i mean it makes sense really because when you're in the in you know you can get into the right kind of headspace and make a whole bunch of sounds in the area of sonics that you're considering for the show because otherwise you kind of do it it would be easy to do piecemeal you start with the theme and then you kind of yeah. you stop makes yeah that, that's actually quite an interesting approach makes a lot of sense I like working with audio, uh, especially over the last two years and diving more into the producer side. I think having audio before I was 100% a MIDI person, but being able to have audio just to toss into your session, um, it can be really, really easy. And it was super nice to develop the sound of the show that way because I just had this bundle of sounds that only belonged to me and was specifically related to this project. And then I found myself reusing similar things over and over and over again in the score that have a really gritty edge to it, but, you know, wasn't taking me two extra hours to, you know, record into the Yeah, queue. yeah, absolutely. Well, um, 
happy birthday, Roland. I mean, I, I hope they, they're obviously doing something right. They've got 50 years down the line and, you know, we want to wish them well and, and hope they stick around for a lot longer because it's always good to have someone with such a heritage and an understanding of how to make instruments, even if they might be out of step sometimes with the more vociferous of their, their critics. They're just going to carry on doing their own thing. OK, uh, we've got another... Uh, it's probably time that I uh, have a little word from our friends over at Yuhi. So uh, please do enjoy Metaphorium information. This is Yuhi Metaphorium, a 220 plus strong sound bank for Hive 2.1 that has been custom crafted over a period of two years by Howard Scar, Victor Weimer and also Urs Heckman himself. The bank was originally commissioned as a custom set for composer Johnny Kilmack for projects he had coming up including a secret film. Film turned out to be the Matrix Resurrections. As Urs Heckman was one of the patch designers, features were added to Hive 2.1 to allow the creation of the new bank. Pretty cool. The sandbag is available via yuhi.com priced at 39 euros. Use the URL bit.ly slash talkmeta. And as I said, I did shoot an interview with uh, Urs Heckman, Howard Scar, and uh, Victor Weimer, the three sound designers behind that. Uh, that should be coming up soon. I'm just waiting for uh, for the final uh, render of that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of, we have talked an hour. It was really fascinating. Okay, we're going to get into, uh, there's a new synth, uh, and we, this was trailed a little bit, uh, a little time ago, and now it's actually here. Who's excited? <laughs> Let's go, let's go. This is the new C CTS 1000V. Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful. And it's, it's, it's an interesting one because they trailed it and uh, teased it. But what's, what's fascinating about this is the way that it's got this kind of Votalk type type your sounds, type your, your, your vocals into an app on a smartphone and then send it in and then it will actually play through them in a way, either sequentially or in phrases. And it's it's kind of slightly left field, I must admit. Um, and it's also got a bunch of usable sounds, pianos and whatnot, which you know, may be a bit kind of people would sneer at a little bit because it's Casio, but actually some of the sounds are pretty decent. But it, I just think this is a sort of fascinating concept. I mean, really... When, when, when again, you look at Casio, a big legacy of synthesizers, and you look at this and, you know, you think this is a toy, and maybe some people think about this, new AIX vocal engine is actually quite interesting. I don't know, I mean, you're a singer, you're not going to need this, but, I mean, some of the sonic capabilities, I mean, it's, I think there's something like 80 different uh, vocal sounds in here, and just, it looks like some fun. Have you had a chance to, to uh, check any of the videos, Tori? When you mentioned it to me, I went and checked it out because I don't remember the last time I've looked at anything Casio. And to be fair, I have borrowed really old quote unquote toy Casios and recorded them for scores just because they have such a unique sound. And I like stuff that sounds like old and dinky. <laughs> um, but I think it's kind of cool. And you know, you mentioned that I'm a vocalist and I wouldn't use vocal samples. That's not true at all. In fact, I love using weird samplers and things that just don't sound like me because, you know, I use myself all the time. I don't know if this is something that I would put in my arsenal, but I think it's kind of cool. And it looks like something, I don't know what's the price point on it. Do you know? 
It's 449. It's not actually, you know, it's fair. I mean, it's listed at higher, but that's roughly what it's going to come out at. And that's, you know, so that's not. For me, I think that's a good entry level for a lot of, this seems like a good bedroom producer kind of synth, to be honest. Um, and it seems yeah, like it's so. well within reach for a lot of people. And so it might not be something that I would gravitate towards, but it looks like a fun, a fun product, especially for somebody that might not be able to afford, you know, something Crazier. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the, the vocal thing's quite interesting. I know, Dave, you're uh, maybe this is something that you should have downstairs in the lounge for your your good lady wife, who we know is a big. Is, almost, I don't know. She she hasn't got a phobia of, vo of uh, vocoders, but she's yes. not fond of them, is she? Oh, she has right. No, she has a phobia. It's uh, it all started with Sparky's Magic Piano. I don't know why that obviously affected her as a youngster, uh, and now, in fact, it was quite funny because when you sent the links through, I had this video on my phone and I went down to make a coffee and she's just like, what is that? That's really upsetting me. Uh, so yeah, for that, for that reason alone, I'd like to have one around the house just for fun. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I think, in fact, Tori hit the nail on the head. I think some kind of bedroom muso is going to come out with some monster smash that is mega annoying but it'll just catapult this sound into the psyche, into the consciousness of everybody. And you'll either love it or hate it. And I know my wife, will, it'll drive my wife around the bend. Yeah, I probably are going to hear that. I, I know it's interesting though. I mean, I'm, I, I was, cause I, I had a little preview sort of of the technology before and I, I was trying, I was desperately trying to kind of find out what the real time performance aspect of it is. And it really isn't, you know, you have to type the stuff in, but you do get phonetic, you know, so if, if, if you wanted to give it an accent, you could actually get in there and ch you change the timing of each of the syllables. They could be triggered sequentially via notes. I mean, it's very complex, but also probably quite fiddly. It just seems strange that they didn't go for a real time vocal. I, I, Yoad, I mean, I know you've worked on vocoders. There may be a reason for this. Uh, why go this way rather than a live input? I, I, I'm still not quite sure, but it's got, it's got a uniqueness to it, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And I have to say, listening to the or watching those demos, um, the, apart from the vocal thing, which, like you said, it, it looks uh, like it's quite cumbersome to, to use, and it doesn't have any real-time aspect to it. The rest of the sounds, like if, if you treat it as a rompler, the piano sounded quite okay, but uh, other than that, all the sounds, and, and especially what they used on the demos, it, I wasn't sure whether I was looking from, uh, um, at the product from the 90s or, or what. Like, it's not retro enough. Uh, it just... Is, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not. It doesn't have the retro appeal, yet it sounds and looks quite dated with the speakers. I'm, I, I guess I'm just not the target market for, for this because um, I, I don't know if it's a pro kind of audio gear. Like, uh, uh, you know, yeah, no, so maybe I don't not. know how, I, I, I think... how I should treat it. I think the thing that was interesting to me about it is the is the notion of I mean there are the, the where I can see it maybe happening if you need a, 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 that sort of auto tune kind of vibe what you can do it can store I think there's 150 or so lyrics in it so and the way it can play you could actually so you're playing the chords it could be used as part of an accompaniment so backing vocals or layered harmonized vocals against the lead vocal if the keyboard player was playing that and it is multi-timbral as well so you know 
that, that there are aspects, but it, it does feel like there are probably other ways to do it. But I yeah, guess but there's, didn't there's, have... so many, there's so many pedals like Vocaloid and all those things that 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 receive MIDI. So if you want to play the chords and generate kind of vocoder sounds in real time, there are other ways of doing it live or if you use a laptop, not to mention, because then you have, and then you have all these um, Sarah and Miriam and all those, you know, uh, by Yamaha and other makers who, who, who make these things that sound more professional. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really, you know, for me, you know, I was trying to think because we talked about Roland, I was trying to think about the JV series and, and these were proper like workhorse um, tools, you know what I mean? And this seems a little bit, so I, I, maybe I just don't get the, and I'm sure there's a market for it. It's just not me. You. No, <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. Sorry, Tori, go. No, no, I wanted to add on to what Yod was saying. As someone who uses vocoders a ton, um, I typically don't like, I mean, and also I'm not using them live. So if I'm in the DAW, I'm using vocal synth and that's pretty much the only vocoder I use. It's a fantastic plugin and it does what I need easily. But, you know, he was mentioning with Yamaha, like one of the reasons I, I don't love keyboard vocoders um, I had to, you know, use uh, the, the the montage, which is great. And they have their, you know, the built-in vocoder. But when you have to play the chords and sing live, I feel like we've gone beyond that at this point um, with pedals and all kinds of other stuff that can do vocoding live without having to accompany yourself playing the chords that right. you were singing. Um, and I'm assuming that's what this is, is that you have to play the chords in order to get the vocoder to function. And yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. a pain in the ass for me. Um, and so again, I don't do a ton of live performance, but the few times I've had to do that, I really didn't like it. Um, I would much rather pre-record myself and do like layers live using a pre-recorded, you know, vocal underneath or use some sort of pedal or something that's going to be easier to just the, the whole, mm. I think we've passed beyond the, you know, the, the keyboard vocoder thing. But that's just my opinion. I think that's a fair point. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think I, I would like to try one out. And I know because I looked at uh, some of the earlier generation stuff, the WP and the XG, I think they were the two synths that came out almost 10 years ago now, or certainly five, you know, a bunch. And, you know, the sounds were certainly use you know it was like it is a budget approach to getting a whole load of sounds in your you know in your arsenal if you haven't got a computer and you don't want to splash out on a you know f a fully blown workstation and there's a lot of stuff in there. there's a lot of uh, auto accompaniment and styles ben jordan did a fantastic video on it where he kind of really explores it and it kind of made sense to a degree from his enthusiasm but i think you're right practically it's maybe not uh not the most obvious way of working Okay. Um, well, Dave, I think the time has come um, to, to to have a look at your uh, your latest baby. This is Dave. Dave comes on like what? What is it? Once once a year, and every time he does, he's oh, got something to pimp. And this is what he's pimping this well, time. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's not. Hey, no, it's not that one either. It's this one. In two thousand, we launched the I'm a world's pro. first Tron plugin, Mtron. And it's fair to say that it took the world by storm, winning numerous awards and introducing those nostalgic tones to a new generation. 
This was superseded by Emtron Pro, which again won numerous awards and became the benchmark by which all other Me Too Mellies were judged. While both Emtron and Emtron Pro were based on the 1970s single manual M400, for the true Tron aficionados, the holy grail is the insanely rare 1960s Mark II. And that's what you did. So, Dave, uh, so I'm not going to play. You, I'm not going to play the whole thing because the whole thing is, while it's no, great, um, people can see that elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, <laughs> you release something. So this this came out yesterday, and it's yeah. what's the distinction between it? Because I think maybe so. Basically, it's it 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 it's a very uh, um, it's the creme de la creme of the Mellotron. Uh, uh, hardware right is that what is considered how, how would you how would you pitch it yeah i mean so the original mellotron so obviously we know that it was originally the chamberlain which was brought over from america and then kind of surreptitiously sold to the bradley family uh and that became the mellotron and there were only a hundred and it's something like 130 mark twos it was it started as the mark one then it got a few additions and most of the mark ones were upgraded to the mark two uh, proper cycling chains for this station cycling and stuff uh so there's only 130 of them around they are like i say insanely rare and when we were uh, talking to the original mellotron manufacturers in the uk streetly electronics uh, in fact, it's weird. I found a photograph, and it was nine years ago, almost to the day that we went there, where the idea of doing a software Mark II was first discussed. Wow, uh, a lot of work gone into yeah, this, it's right? A, uh, it's, it was nuts. I mean, you know, the first thing that Martin um, did was send me through uh, the Streetly guy, uh, sent me through the master tapes for the Mark One. And what's fascinating, it, you know, I mean, I'm so nerdy about this. The Chamberlain rhythms and accompaniments were recorded. So it was a two-manual thing, left-hand rhythms and accompaniments. There's that on the right-hand leads. And there's that very famous kind of David Nixon and Eric Robinson, who was the band leader who recorded the UK Mellotron rhythms and accompaniments. But one thing I discovered through this is that, you know, so the, the, the British Mellotron Mark II stuff was recorded at IBC Studios in the, in the very early 60s with the Eric Robinson Orchestra. Uh, and I'd kind of gone into there and Martin and I had spent, you know, years on sort of reworking these sounds and tempo mapping stuff and just jigging stuff around. Uh, and what had happened is the band, uh, it was a girl called Caro Emerald in Europe, had used a lot of these rhythms and motifs on a massive album. I think it was called Scenes from the Cutting Room Floor. That was massive all over Europe. Uh, we kind of got in touch with them and people were just asking for more of this stuff. So the idea of kind of having tempo map mapped rhythms and accompaniments because it's got a vibe, it's just got this vibe about it. Oh, so that, that's one uh, of the so Martin sent, yeah, and he sent me the rhythms through, uh, the rhythms, and well, he sent me all the tapes through. We did tons of work. And then he said, right, here's the Chamberlain stuff. And that was stunning because when Harry recorded his stuff, you know, it was in proper US spec studios with U47s. So where the Mellotron recordings were quite gnarly, the Chamberlains have got a, a, 
of much bigger bandwidth and they just again it was like whoa these are amazing and i had this moment where i'd kind of chopped everything up with the various stations and i suddenly thought it'd be really interesting to see if they follow the same kind of chord finder because all of the rhythms and stuff the keys correspond to different chords uh within an overall key signature and it was utter cacophony. And then I spoke to Martin and I was like, man, that means we've kind of got to readdress all of this. And he said, just move everything up a note because the bottom G on the Mellotron was always an end motif or a kind of some kind of musical motif on the Mark I. Whereas on the <laughs> Chamberlain, it was silent. There was nothing on it. And I literally moved everything up one note and everything followed. And what we realized from that was that once I put, I mocked it up in Mtron Pro originally. So I put a rhythm on the left channel and panned it left, a Mellotron rhythm. And then I put a Chamberlain rhythm on the right from the same station and they're the same. And it was so amazing because what we realized was essentially what the Eric Robinson orchestra did. Eric basically just transcribed pretty much everything that had been in the Chamberlain and got a UK orchestra. And when you ah. pan these things apart, they take on this enormity. It, they, it's just mind-blowing. It's and like then two stereo orchestra, like, <laughs> multi-tracking orchestras. Fascinating. It's stunning. Fascinating. You can do that with the accompaniments, with the rhythms. And then, of course, what happened with the Mark II. So it was really designed as the ultimate home entertainment console. But then what happened was obviously the Beatles used it on Strawberry Fields and then the Rolling Stones got it and the Moody Blues got it and King Crimson got it and Genesis got it. So it kind of transformed from this ultimate very expensive home entertainment console to this kind of iconic prog massive instrument and that's where watcher of the skies comes from and you know knights in white satin mike pinder was the real master at this uh yeah so yeah it was a, a ton a ton a ton of work and we put it out yesterday and i have to say i got this we got this uh quote from Tony Visconti just saying it's the perfect Mellotron and Mitchell Froome actually who said out of all the instruments he's bought in the last 30 years there's two that have inspired him and this is one of them uh, and I just looked at the quotes from them and I was like the teenage me would never ever have thought you know when you're 50 something they're going to be singing the praises of something you worked on so yeah astonishing really Nice one. I, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, a lot a lot of people use trons in uh, media composition, and you know because of the the, the sort of pre-made vibes. Ago, have you have you been tempted to use any of that kind of stuff in yours as well? I love oh, melatronin. Totally. I mean, oh, sorry, sorry. Not me. I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> I was going to say I love melatronins. Uh, my neighbor, my studio neighbor, has one of the smaller desktop ones, and I think this plugin is something that I would absolutely use. Um, it, I mean, it, obviously, a plugin. It's easier recall. You mentioned how these are so difficult to find. Obviously, I probably wouldn't be able to get my hands on a real one. The price point looks excellent. You know, I feel like last time I we were saying is about a year ago that I was on here and Dave was launching another product at that point. So I was meant to be on here to, uh, <laughs> he's always releasing stuff that I seem to like. <laughs> so it's a kismet, as they say. <laughs> There's an amazing Excellent. producer in the US called uh, Dave Tozer and he does all the John Legend stuff and uh, 
he's phenomenal and he's always been using these little kind of snippets of what we've done in a load of kind of really nice r&b stuff i guess it is and for me that's where the magic of this is is where you inject this very old kind of retro vibe into something contemporary and it just gives it lee groves as you know uh, nick was you know mike uh, spike stents kind of right hand man for ages and lee helped us a lot and there was this moment where lee said take a rhythm and accompaniment pan them either side so we got this dual layer uh, ability on it pan them either side stick a ton of reverb on it put the host sync on and slow it down to 10 BPM. Um, and he said, don't tell anyone about this because I'm going to use it on the next film score. And we did it and it was like, whoa. So yeah, there's, there's all of that stuff. I could rant about this for days. Excellent. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to do uh, something a bit more in-depth with that. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, the thing about those, they're so iconic, the, the, the sounds of that stuff on tape. I remember there was a Monty Python sketch ages ago, which was where they were going on about the sound of stuff. It's all so woody, isn't it? No, that's tinny, that's woody. And the, the Mellotron has a woody sound, I think would be fair to say, right? Absolutely. And I think that uh, I use Mellotron uh, strings um, a lot. And whenever you want like sampled strings to sound uh real whatever it is contact or fancy libraries that that you use you stick a mellotron together with it and it makes it sound real because there's something about the mellotron that is just you know uh it, it speaks you know it talks it uh it has a personality and nothing else sounds sounds like it and uh, I haven't tried the the, the Emtron Mark II. I'm sure it's amazing because last year uh, they've released the the OBE, which is by far the best um, modeled synth ever, and still is. I mean, uh, it, whenever I use it, and I use it a lot, it's it's just. It's just amazing, and I'm sure that the that the Amtron Mark II has the will have the or has the same qualities because I know that that you Dave uh, go to you know to detail and uh, and and spend hours and, and years in this case to 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 make it perfect. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to to try. Thank you. Yeah. Super. Somebody well, said it's not a gift, it's a curse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, sometimes that can be the case. Um, I should probably interject here. We have a, 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 a message from our um, other sponsor, who is Isotope. Um, we're going to tell you about uh, their subscription program. And, of course, the ever appreciated uh, Prince Charles Alexander. Isotope Producers Club is a one-of-a-kind membership for producers ready to take their tracks to the next level. Once you join, you'll gain access to powerhouse Isotope plugins and a curated selection of tools from our partners, such as Melodyne from Celimony. Plus, as long as you're a member, you'll get every future update to the Isotope plugins in your membership for no extra cost. We'll also regularly serve you new curated content like exclusive inspiration-sparking sample packs and preset packs and industry-leading training ranging from our own tutorials to vocal production lessons from the world-renowned Berkeley Online, taught by Grammy-winning producer and engineer, Prince Charles Alexander. 
with new content being added every month full of valuable production techniques, tips and tricks, and solutions to common production problems, becoming a member is an investment in your career that grows as you and your career do. For more information on Isotope Producers Club, head to isotope.com. Indeed you can, and if you head to isotope.com and uh, you check the uh, website, uh, isotope.com forward slash Sonic Talk, there's also a little discount code, which uh, Sonic 10, if you enter that on uh, any of your checkouts, apart from subscriptions and hardware, you can save yourself an extra 10%. We thank them very much for their continued sponsorship of the show. So uh, I was wondering where to go next with this, and I think we can't really avoid this. This hopefully is going to be something big. This is for Blue Cat Audio. Connector. It's an audio and MIDI streaming plugin from Blue Cat Audio that's used to transmit audio or MIDI in real time between several computers or between multiple applications on one computer, or you can create your own routings within a single application, all with minimal latency. Right, again, I'm not going to play the whole thing. This is this is quite an interesting concept. Um, we... we it's been there's there's this sort of holy grail to a degree, you know, this way to root audio or MIDI in a in a kind of joined up way. And Blue Cat Audio Connector seems to be the the latest incarnation of this. So you could do it over inter application, so it just works internally. You could do it over the network, uh, local network. You can also do it in between apps on the same computer. You can also do it over the WAN as well, wide area network. Haven't tested that, but I know Rich Hilton was very interested in this. I don't know how much latency is. I think the compensation because it's an all together system, the compensation is built in to the system, so. It auto adjusts itself which i think is kind of probably the big key for this uh it's 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 like 49 bucks 39 bucks i think it's reduced to at the moment it's got to be worth a try i know Yoad, we've struggled uh with how do we when we've done our remote things you know you send me your cameras and then you share your screen and we use listen to which is great uh but the idea of having the MIDI side of it as well, just this looks like quite an interesting piece of technology and i'm sure it's something you've probably got your eye on as well what do you think um, yeah, totally. I mean, the fact that um, that it integrates both um, or incorporates both audio and MIDI at the same time, and like you said, uh, it can handle the the latency compensation, uh, the delay compensation for the latency is great because you can use if you use if you use Max, you can use IAC um, to network. MIDI and I've actually tried that once one time I was in Tel Aviv and I was operating the studio here and playing MIDI while listening back all through the AU audio network um, from within Logic and, and playing a Minimoog which was connected to the Neve and and playing MIDI and and hearing it back and it took about probably a second or something like that. Right. Um, but the fact that the audio net audio AU network, I think it's called send and receive, is a plugin, so it's compensated. But the IAC is not a plugin; it's a it's an it's an app or a driver. So they don't compensate. It it doesn't get compensated. So you have a discrepancy between the two streams. And when you have both MIDI and audio in the same plugin, they can both be get compensated and and retain you know the original timing uh, so uh, 
although it 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 will have latency you know you won't be able to play real time together with someone else but your relative timing will be maintained so um and and obviously the interconnectivity between uh, applications like we have on ipads and stuff it's um it, yeah, it's it strange like, that it yeah, it's strange Sorry. that the OS um, has it on on iPads, but not on the professional platform, which is the the Mac OS. So, so we have to use a third a third party product for that. But it's still very uh, a welcome kind of addition to to the stuff we can do. Um, obviously, here I have different computers in different rooms and different setups, and um, I don't have enough space here for all my analog gear for instance or so some of it is in the machine room uh, so with something like that i'll be able to operate it uh, using a um, kind of a remote computer um, yeah. with sound grid i would use sound grid for the audio but for the midi you can use uh, something like that isc is, is pretty good when you use it locally, but but there are definitely benefits of uh, in having it as a plugin uh, within your your DAW. Absolutely, definitely so, great. I, I know, Atari. I mean, I think I think given the, the times we're in, this is the sort of technology that could really sort of help people such as yourself. Whereas you you might want to use yeah. a session person on your. I mean, there are ways to do this. I mean, it's not the only way, admittedly, but this the, the, there are so many ways that this could be used to root things. Have you kind of uh, have you thought of any? <laughs> yeah. So similar to what Yod was saying, uh, I have multiple machines. So I have this machine here. Uh, my husband and I are both composers, so there's the machine that his studio, and then we have a, a home rig that's basically like a clone of our, our machines are essentially three clones of each other with you know slight variations. So we're constantly logging in remotely to each other's machines. We're doing remote sessions a lot, um, whether it's you know working with people in London or myself as a producer outside of film. Um, I, Anytime I'm doing a collab, it's usually with somebody that's not physically in the room with me, especially now. So there's definitely things about this that are interesting, but the number one question is how is the latency? Um, because that's always the issue is dealing with latency. I mean, I've been mixing my EP remotely with somebody and they use a program and I can't remember the name and it's pretty good, but there still is a slight bit of latency uh, on my end to uh, hearing his mixes. And I'm trying to, is this cross-platform? Because I feel like a lot of these programs yeah, it's VST, are... Yes, it's VST3, AU. I mean, I, I believe so. Uh, let me see if I can find the... I think I've got the web page there. So what is yeah. it? It's uh, available oh, yeah. for... It does, yeah. yeah, it says Windows. Yeah. Um, AX, because yeah. oftentimes a lot of these programs, especially in the smaller price range, they just don't work great on PCs. Um, I'm not saying that's the case here. I haven't tried it, so I don't know. But it's, I mean, would you say it's like 40 bucks? I mean, it's definitely worth giving a try at that price point, and it could be a great addition. I'm just a little skeptical always of the latency until I try it. 
Yeah, I think round trip latency is always going to be a thing. I mean, but I just think there's lots of interest because essentially this is also um, providing something along the same lines as rewire all of these other things. I mean, I don't, yeah. Dave, I, you you were you were looking like you were kind of con- uh, considering what this might be useful for, but I can imagine you know multiple machines. I mean, th- there are other things like you might have you know uh, logic running on one machine or logic running on the same machine, and you want to use that reverb plugin that's native to that into your uh, you know reaper session or whatever it may be there's there's so many different applications for this it's i think it's one of those things that we're not going to quite figure out what it's for yet but it just seems a standardization of piping that stuff between all these different sources has got to be good right which is funny because i was trying to figure out about a third of what yoad was saying this is like alchemy to me like it clearly makes sense to two people here to me it's like it's like magic it's very surreal. I mean, I love the idea of being able to do stuff, you know, from the main studio, from the comfort of my home studio. But that would entail me leaving a ton of analog gear on and watching the electricity meter just spin like a CD player. Uh, oh, so, oh yeah, wait a minute. I'm... Wait a minute. I've got a solution for you there. You can buy a smart plug that you can just basically this i did it here in the studio i bought i plugged a, a smart plug into my air conditioning unit and i turned that when it was really really hot last year and it was almost impossible when i left in the morning i just switched on so by the time i got to work the air conditioning had been on for 25 minutes uh, i have to say that my entire studio is powered by by such uh, plugins uh, i uh, plugs i have about 20 of them and they're all here on the app so i can power all the racks, wow. all the synths, all the speakers, like the, you know, I can power everything from wherever I am. So, so that's not, not an issue either. I guess what it doesn't always do is shut down things gracefully, which is what you might want to do. So Dave, you might want to look into that. Cause I mean, you could, I could see this working. Yeah, just yeah. Have a, yeah. You could, you could do that and then just go, Oh, you know what? I fancy, I need to test what the only problem is, is obviously you can't physically control some of the old analog stuff because you know, that, that's not going to be, you know, the way you might have CV onto a, a filter, you might not have it on some other parameter you might want to tweak, but yeah. No, but there have definitely been times where I've kind of worked over at the main studio, haven't saved something, left it on, come home, you know, taken some stems from it or uh, snippets of it, brought it back and thought, oh, yeah, it doesn't sound right on this here. It'd be great if I could access that right now. But yeah, no, fascinating, really fascinating. I need to learn more about these things. Well, I think I think this this sort of we, well, I've spoken about this before. This whole notion of sort of IP based equipment that you, if it's on a network somewhere, I mean, there obviously yes, there are security issues and whatnot. But if it's on a network somewhere and it's got an API that you can control, then then do it. You know, then then it makes it easy to do. That's essentially how we're running this show right now. You know, there's no we haven't got any computers here that are running this video equipment. This is all happening in the middle. You know, in a, in a data center in Virginia, being controlled by MIDI and various other APIs. So those are the things. I don't know, Tori. Do you have any um, any kind of like audio networking going on in your place? Because I mean, I guess if you're linking two rooms or you're just using straightforward copper. So uh, the only thing we're using right now is, uh, so everything, all of our machines are connected on uh, on a network. And I use, there's a program called Splashtop. It's a very basic program that just allows us to log into any of the machines from the other ones and transfer files. Um, you can also play back audio if you switch the outputs. I usually don't do that. 
um, but we can log in to all of the machines from the other ones. Um, that's basically all I'm doing at the moment. Nothing too crazy. So it's interesting because a lot of people. I mean, we we've started to play with uh, networked audio in terms of you know like the stage box is running on AES fifty. You know, so that, that this idea of using Cat five to transport the stuff around. I mean, I imagine you know because in a place like yours, Yoad, I mean, you've got miles of cables that are insanely weighty and expensive and have to be hidden in kind of special conduits. Whereas if you just run sort of six or seven cats. Cat six cables that you would, that, so you got redundant cat, stuff. Cat seven. I, I, yeah, cat seven. Okay, well, you're already you're already way ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the entire the entire uh, studio is uh, is wired by cat seven cables because, like I said, I have I use sound grid to to network all the audio gear uh, here, and I can use it remotely. I've been using uh, I've been working remotely for the past ten years, so for me. The COVID thing wasn't really a big a big uh, change. So I've been um, printing, mixing mixes through the desk, through the Neve desk from home, um, and from from other countries as well. So the the Neve was always on, and with the summing uh, kind of setup, so I can load different mixes and just run it. So I could do the the, the tweaks remotely and print an analog mix through the desk from another country so i've been doing all that for for years uh and um it's fun it's fun and it saves so much time because a lot of times you have to to print stems to export stems and to print uh you know vocal up and and all that and you don't have to to sit in the studio and wait for it to to just run especially if it's analog and it's it's running real time you have you can do it from from other other places or there are a lot of benefits of of doing that and especially with sound grid you know i can have noisy servers um in other rooms, in the machine room, in other, I have two, two floors here in the studio so I can have the servers up there. And if I, if I want to, to go in the kitchen and, and use a laptop just to change the vibe, like you said, I can use an Ethernet cable and I can run uh, 64 outputs straight to the Neve from the kitchen and things like that, you know, so it's a... Uh, yeah, the, there's a lot of benefits for for audio and MIDI networking, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think I think a lot of us have kind of. Uh, I've, I've gradually sort of figured out that this this definitely has uh, a lot of potential. I know I've sort of been a, 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 a proponent of cloud stuff for a long time, and I, that's you know I continue to do that. Like I say, this show is running on the cloud today, and it just doesn't feel any really any different than what he would normally do, just because the computer is somewhere else. Okay, um, I think we're probably heading towards the end of our uh, end of our time. I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff to do. So, I mean, Tori, I don't know whether you're going to go uh, go 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 and have a nap or whether you've got work to do. Whether you're doing because you're doing a load of promo for your upcoming project. So, have you got like a yeah. morning of uh, interviews and stuff to do now? I have press all this morning, which worked out great because it gave me, you know, I, I had to be up already and I needed to get in and be prepped. So. This worked out great, but yeah, I got interviews all this week in the morning um, for the show, which comes out on Friday. So I hope everybody watches where, it. Uh, what's it called again, and where can people see it? 
It's In From the Cold. It is a spy thriller that's going to be on Netflix, uh, dropping January 28th, which is this Friday. And the soundtrack comes out on all streaming platforms the same day. So I'm oh, really nice. excited. Simultaneous release. Excellent. Yeah. Well, congratulations and uh, good luck with that. That sounds like it's going to be uh, a, an exciting week. I guess you'll be glued to the stats. Are you a stats watcher? Because we don't get charts so much now, but do you get feedback from Netflix about you know how popular it's gone or do you have to get that fed back uh, through the production company? This is my first solo release with Netflix. So this is as new to me as it would be to anybody. Um, I'm not going to be watching stats so much as uh, looking at reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, I'm going to try and not look at the internet too much. I'm a, I'm a little anxious, but I think the show is great, so I'm not too worried. Um, I'm just excited. You know, stuff got delayed so much because of the pandemic, and it's nice that this, like, baby that we worked on for a year is finally, you know, coming to fruition. Excellent. Well, congratulations. I hope that goes well for you. And, Yoad, I don't know what uh, you're going on to next. I suppose you could just go and um, sit on a beach and, and remote desktop in, right? Assuming you can um, travel, uh, that is obviously that's I that. Do, for some reason, I, I choose to stay in uh, grey, cold and miserable uh, London. But uh, I'm I'm right here for the moment. Excellent. Well, I hope you've got uh, uh, um, a. a a fulsome day's work and uh, fun creative stuff to do. And of course, Dave Spears, G4 Software, you're probably sitting there looking at the stats. You've done a major release yesterday and now everybody's sitting there going, there's a finger, because I know you will find it quite nerve-wracking, isn't it, when you when you finally uh, release the stuff and it's out in the world. It's kind of like letting one of your children go. It's the lead-up to it. It's utterly, I was telling somebody about this the other day, it's utterly bizarre. I can stand up and talk in front of a load of people. I can play live in front of a load of people. But when it comes time that it's like we're going to hit that button, I, I'm phys I do get physically sick. I don't know what it is. I'd spend my life, if I could, just doing development and being very nerdy and geeky. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know. It's nice. It's. I mean, it's great to put, you know, to kind of put things out but yeah it never it never get i mean it's bizarre isn't it because it's like you know i've been doing it for like 22 years and it's not it's never got any less scary crazy oh wow well good luck with all of that and uh, thank you very thank much you. everybody don't forget uh, we've got uh, there's a big release coming on Friday so we've got a video for that which I can't tell you about but I can tell you it's coming uh, we've got the uh, triads review if you uh, want to check out that which is a really interesting uh, plugin we've also got uh, something coming up with uh, Yuhi where we talk to sound designers about some of the more uh, interesting aspects and kind of more detailed aspects about how it is to create patches and how that all works anyway but that's it for this week thank you very much everybody for watching I go to our little uh, full up and we can all say goodbye uh, and say um, and say goodbye so that's it for this week that was sonic talk episode uh, 700 won't you believe it and thanks to andy for doing the switch this week as well uh, we'll see you all next time take care bye bye now